The year is 2011. Barack Obama is in the White House. The Office is on its eighth season on NBC. I am 16 years old, although by Christmas, a time of year when movie theaters the world over are packed with family-friendly releases, I will have turned 17 and officially be a high school graduate. I didn't graduate early or anything, I just grew up in Montreal, Quebec, where high school ends after 11th grade rather than 12th. I remember seeing two movies in theaters that December, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy and The Adventures of Tintin. I disliked the former and fell asleep during the latter. Not because I was bored, mind you, I'm sure Tintin is a fine film, though I have yet to revisit it. I was just tired. In February of 2011, the Green Bay Packers win the Super Bowl, but I'm not much of a sports guy. A week later, The King's Speech wins the Oscar for Best Picture, an upset for fans of David Fincher's The Social Network, its prescient breakdown of the ego behind Facebook still ever relevant as the film celebrates its 10-year anniversary. Interestingly, the win for Best Documentary Feature at the 2011 Oscars, the 83rd Academy Awards, goes to Inside Job, a Charles Ferguson film about the late 2000s financial crisis. The film is narrated by a man named Matt Damon. In 2011, Matt Damon is a household name. Hot off the success of the Bourne series, which at this point in time is still a trilogy, and still in the afterglow of Saving Private Ryan, Dogma, The Talented Mr. Ripley, Ocean's Eleven, The Departed, and Spirit, Stallion of the Cimarron, Matt Damon can do no wrong. Even in subpar movies, Matt Damon can't help but be objectively charming. I dare you to watch Terry Gilliam's forgettable but insanely star-studded The Brothers Grimm and not admit that Damon, playing against a pre-Joker Heath Ledger, is an absolute joy to watch. I say this as someone who saw the movie once when it came out in 2005 and I would have been 10 years old, and this part of the podcast doesn't really warrant me going back to rewatch The Brothers Grimm just to prove what you already know, America loves Matt Damon. Scarlett Johansson, on the other hand, is a bit of a newcomer. She broke somewhat onto the scene with Ghost World in 2001 and Lost in Translation in 2003, but she still hasn't become as well-known an actress, despite roles in Michael Bay's The Island, Christopher Nolan's The Prestige, and an underrated vocal performance in Steven Hillenburg and Mark Osborne's The SpongeBob SquarePants movie as Princess Mindy. And then, in 2010, Black Widow in Iron Man 2. Suddenly, everyone knows ScarJo. With her introduction to the MCU playing a beloved comic book character, Scarlett Johansson becomes a household name and certified leading woman, for better or for worse. I'm talking about the whole, you know, like, ghost in the shell thing, and then when she was gonna play a trans man, and then she was like, I can play a tree if I want to, and that just being, you know, like a whole mess. Um, we're not gonna really go into that in this episode. We might in the future, but that's just, you know, oofa doofa. Anyway, speaking of wildly miscast Asian characters, let's talk about Cameron Crowe, director of the 2015 film Aloha. Most people know Cameron Crowe as the writer of Fast Times at Ridgemont High and the director of Say Anything, Jerry Maguire, and Almost Famous. After the dismal reception to his 2005 movie Elizabethtown, which if you haven't seen it, don't, Crowe took six years off from releasing any new films. In 2011, he releases three movies. Two are music documentaries, one about Elton John, and the other about Pearl Jam. And the third, well, the third is a little family dramedy about love, grief, healing, and animals. A movie based loosely on a true story adapted from a 2008 memoir that shares its name, 
A movie about a family, a father with two children, dealing with the aftermath of a tremendous loss. And also, there's a box of snakes. Releasing December 23rd, 2011, right before Christmas, Cameron Crowe's third release of the year, that despite starring Matt Damon and Scarlett Johansson has left virtually no cultural footprint, is a little movie called We Bought a Zoo. Did you, did you, Zach, did you write that? That was all improv. Oh my I God. I improv that whole thing. <laughs> That's impressive. You used Thank a you. lot of really, really good words in that. Totally off the dome. All right, let's start the show. <laughs> Welcome to the first episode of We Pod a Zoo. My name is Zach, and I am joined today by Sydney Gale Emanuel, who is an actor, an artist, and you might know her from YouTube or Twitch or Vine or Twitter. Oh, fuck. Remember Vine? Yeah, RIP. RIP Vine. People, anybody who hears this and like knows me from Vine is getting like horrible PTSD flashbacks. <laughs> they're like, oh no. Or maybe if they knew you from Vine and this is like the first time they're hearing you in years, they're getting like an ASMR trigger. They're like, oh shit. I'm turned on. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't have to be a turn on. Okay. okay, it doesn't have, you're right. Okay, it doesn't have to, guys, it doesn't have to be. ASMR is not always a sex thing. It's, it's, it's not. It's often a sex thing, but it's not always a sex thing. Sometimes it's just a nice thing that you want, like, to hear the pages of a book turn very get close it, in your ear. Don't get it freaking twisted, okay? Yeah, don't get don't get it twisted. Don't be freaking nasty. Yeah, you nasty boys. <laughs> you nasty. Stop it. <laughs> I actually, I only want nasty boys listening to this podcast. This is a podcast right. for nasty boys. <laughs> well, welcome, nasty boys. Welcome. Um, this is a, a podcast about the 2011 film We Bought a Zoo. Oh, I probably and should have watched it if that's what this is about. Sydney. Come on. Come on. I know you watched it. I did. You made me. <laughs> Don't say it like that. <laughs> I um I do have a little uh Google Drive. Oh, I shouldn't say that I pirated the movie and I'm just sending it out to all my guests. I probably shouldn't say that. Well, you didn't say it. In fact, you said you shouldn't say it. So let's just reiterate like we don't pirate. We don't pirate. We don't condone pirating the 2011 film we bought a zoo yeah you should pay for it with money sure and yeah. not pirate it and where the hell would you actually buy that film right now well i i will say the first time that i watched it to prep for this podcast i before before i downloaded illegally not yeah i did get the amazon prime cinemax trial where you can watch it for free but that only lasted for a week. So I watched it and then I got rid of that trial. So now I have to watch it illegally or else I have to pay $11 a month. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so it's not just Amazon Prime. It's on Cinemax yeah, through Amazon yeah, Prime. Because otherwise you have to rent it through Prime, I think. But, oh, and but then if you, you pay $5 or whatever. Yeah, but if you if you buy it or if you 
yeah, you can buy it on Prime or rent it through Prime or you get the Cinemax subscription. This is not an advertisement for Amazon, by the way. Like, <laughs> Yeah, not at all. No, Amazon sucks. Jeff Bezos sucks. I have the free trial that expires in November and then I'm getting rid of it. Yeah, so shut the fuck up, guys. He's getting yeah, rid of it. I'm getting rid of it. This is a podcast about We Bought a Zoo. And I, I just want to contextualize this a little bit. Credit where credit is due. I first kind of became aware of this movie through the podcast Blank Check which is an excellent movie podcast. And they did a mini series about Cameron Crowe and his work. And I was listening back to like to their back catalog chronologically and got to the We Bought a Zoo episode. And I, I listened to that episode before I'd ever seen the movie. And I was like, this movie sounds buck wild. So uh, it, it kind of stuck with me months after I listened to that episode. And I ended up doing a little like Cameron Crowe marathon and a lot of his movies are charming and a lot of his movies are bad. And we bought a zoo since since that I probably was like January or February of this year. And since then, it has just like absolutely stuck with me. And and it has kind of become a part of my, I guess, like Twitter brand is making jokes about we bought a zoo. <laughs> anyone anyone who follows me on Twitter will know that I'm kind of like obsessed with making jokes about this movie. But it, it's actually you know, I, I, this this is this is a podcast that is partly a joke gone too far, and <laughs> partly. I mean, I don't want to rag on this movie. It's not this this podcast is not built as a place to just shit on. We bought a zoo because in a lot of ways, this movie is is extremely charming, and mm-hmm. it is actually at some at some points. Can I say it's kind of a good movie? Sometimes, sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, no, you could say that. I mean, I think I uh, I messaged you on Twitter yeah. while I was watching it, and I was like, "Why am I crying? We bought a zoo right now." <laughs> we'll get. To, I I legitimately when I when I rewatched it um, before we recorded this, I got to the end of the movie, and I was like, "If I were in a like even the tiniest bit of a different mood, I would be crying." Yes, and I think yes, yes, because yes. I was in like I was in an emotional place while watching it. I was having mm-hmm. like one of those days, yes. and I think it was really like rainy and gloomy out. And I'm like, yeah. that's a perfect day to watch, you know, this like family kind of love loving story movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, I got got like it got me. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I I am not gonna shit on this movie. I have a lot of I, opinions uh, about it, but I, yeah, at certain points I was like, they're doing it right. They they're yeah. making a a good film. Yes, um, sometimes. Um, so, sometimes. <laughs> sometimes. Uh, the this is uh, I I told you this already, but for for the listeners, this is the second time I'm I'm recording the first episode of this podcast. I want to to cement this in the We Pot a Zoo lore that the first time I tried to record the episode. I had a wonderful guest, Amar Rizbud, and we had an absolute blast recording uh, what was supposed to be the inaugural episode, but the goal was to do a recap of the movie to create an accessible entry point for listeners of the podcast, and what ended up happening is we recorded for about an hour and 15 minutes, and we got through 20 minutes of the movie. So <laughs> the goal here, and we'll we'll see, we're already 15 minutes in and ah, fuck. we haven't started talking about the movie, but we'll see if we can kind of do it better. 
Or I'm going to be on it. No, I'm yeah. going to crack the whip, Good. Zach. I'm not I'm not letting you just beat around the bush and talk. I'm going to be like, okay, moving on. Next plot point. Yeah, because what, what I realized was like, I spent so long going into, I have tw- I have like over 20 pages of notes on this movie. I spent so long going into the minutia of everything because I wanted to like get it all out without really thinking about like what the arc of this podcast is going to be. It's like, no, I can have a whole episode later devoted to like the symbolism of sunlight in this movie. I don't need to talk about like, look at look at what the sun is doing in this scene you know it's also a very funny thing to do like a a very niche specific podcast about a very specific one film just one yeah and then not be able to see it because we're doing a podcast so i think you're right it's it's important in the first episode to at least lay out the groundwork because uh i wonder what the statistic is like how many people have actually seen this film i don't know i i know that it performed decently at the box office it wasn't a huge hit. Um, I think it did better in its second weekend than its first. I think it holds like some record for being one of the few movies that like grows in a specific way. I don't know. There, I, on the Wikipedia, there's like some factoid about it like that. Um, did they make back what they put? Yes, in for production? yes, yes, yes. I think okay. they they about like doubled or or almost tripled. Oh. So wow. yeah, it, it it wasn't, but it was also like a movie that only cost like fifty or sixty million. Like it, it's not, it was not a big budget movie by those standards. Um, but it also, like I said in the in the intro, it like whether or not people saw it, because of course people saw it, it was like a Christmas time family movie. It has left no cultural footprint. No, like, I think that was what I found so funny when you started joking about it on Twitter. Was I was like. This is nothing like this is a nothing movie. Yes, that's and I think that's kind of what has stood out to me and like why it stuck with me for so long, because, you know, despite the fact that it has an A-list cast, despite the fact that it comes from an Oscar winning director, despite that it has music by the guy from Sigur Ros, like, dude, I know Jonesy, like he's when co- I heard when I heard him, I, yeah. I also messaged you because this is something we could talk about. But obviously, yeah. uh yeah, I was like, oh my God, this is Yonsei. Like, this is so cool. And then they kept doing it. And well, I'm like, yeah, he, so, they <laughs> paid so much money to have this fucking music. Well, he wrote the score. That's the thing. So he, he, they used a lot of his pre-existing music, but he also composed an original score for the movie. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's sick. I love Yonsei. He actually put out a new album recently. I know. I haven't listened to it yet. because I, I, I oh, love, Shiver. It's so good. I loved Go when it came out. Yes. And what's very funny, and we can get into this, but what's very funny is that Go came out before this movie, but a lot of the like soundtrack to this movie, that the score Sounds to like this movie, it. He, it are just instrumental versions of songs from Go. Dude, yeah. And it's not, like, that was my favorite. And I think in high school, I didn't know about Sigur Rós, actually. Yeah. I knew about Yonsei before I knew about Sigur Rós. Oh, interesting. Funny. Yeah, yeah. it's like the backwards way to do it. Yeah, but I knew um, do go. So like every day I'd wake up, you know, I'm like, whatever, go, you mean 17. you mean go do? Say so, thank you. Sorry, yeah. I mean go do. Uh, and I'd be like, boop 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 <laughs> boop 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 boop, and yeah. I'm like getting ready to start my day. So when I watched this movie, I felt nostalgia almost mm-hmm. for being like a teen. I I felt yes, I felt the same thing, but with Hop- when Hoppy Pola started playing. Okay. Because that that song to me, I. That's the one that goes like do 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 that one um I first heard that was like the I think for a lot of people that was like their entry point into Sigaross because that's like one of their most accessible poppy songs. But I heard that in like a YouTube movie compilation that was like the films of 2008 or 2009 or something. Oh, I remember that uh what year did the Dark Knight come out? 2008. So it was 
the dark i remember because the dark knight was in it um but it was just like a very well cut like look back on the films of 2008 set to hoppy pola and i remember hmm. and the you i i the, it has disappeared from youtube i cannot find this video but no. i remember like watching it and being like hey the editing in this is really good set to this music i what's this song i really like this song and then that's how i found sigur Rós. um wow all right, now we're 20 minutes in and we haven't talked. Okay, we, we have to start, we have talking, to start about talking about this movie. About this movie. Okay, um, and it, but you should, everyone should listen to the new Sigur Rós album. It you mean, sounds you, so you different. The Yonsei album. Yonsei album, yes. yeah. It sounds extremely different. Totally different direction, but but awesome. So different direction from his first album? Yes. It's less the poppy go lucky and it's leaning a bit more into um, like some of the, more like PC music. Like some of the songs could almost be like a Charlie XCX or like... Ooh. Dorian Electra, like they're just funkier. I like um, that. Yeah, weirder, more distortion, less like soft singing. But some of the songs still have that beautiful like Yonsei like. Yeah, have you heard? Have you whispering. heard his cover of "Time to Pretend"? No. Oh my god, that is be- his cover of "Time to Pretend." The "Time to M- Pretend." MGMT. Yes, MGMT. What? It's yeah, it's absolutely gorgeous. I will look that up later. Yes, um, everyone. Okay, should, everyone but now should look that up. we bought a zoo. But, so t- 2011. Yes. 2011, Cameron Crowe. Um, this is. Let me pull up my notes so we can go through it, and I will not spend as long on everything. I'll cut you off. Thank you. I'll yes, simply, I'll simply it. say, yes. Zach, shut up. Yeah. So let's let's set the let's set the the stage real quick, just okay. so uh, the father is Benjamin Me, played by Matt Damon. Um, he has two kids, uh, Dylan and Rosie, and. Uh, I think that's that. That's the that's the 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 stage is set. That's how we start the movie. Uh, the the movie starts with a a little montage of the dad in his work, which is he is a writer and he does a lot of crazy adventures for his writing. So he he goes he, on. He's a lot like of a journal. He's a journalist, right? Yes, like- he's like a he's like a travel journalist. Um, the movie like the first shot of the movie is like. A PO, it's weird. It's a it's a POV shot, and they never do another POV shot. I don't think. And it also starts with a voiceover from the sun, which they never bring back. It's like, it's a framing device that they never touch on again. Wait, I thought it opened with not a voiceover from the sun. I thought it opened with the dude speaking Spanish on the bus. Yeah, that's part of that opening montage. Like oh okay okay that so like like it starts oh with, you're right yeah. it's like my dad had a lot yes, of crazy yes yes you're yes, right, yes. You're right. okay and yeah. they never bring that back he's like this is my dad has a lot of adventures and he's like I'm Benjamin me and I'm surrounded by killer bees um it's like that opening Wait, that shot is, that is an amazing point yeah. that you just made because they do they do it like a narrative storytelling element yeah. that you think you're gonna see the son in the future like writing about his dad or something it's but yeah you it's don't, you don't. it's weird because it's like the son reflecting on these moments because the, the the arc the father-son arc is very important to this movie and it feels like it's the son reflecting on like the adventures his dad had um but then they never bring that around they never no. it feels like a relic from like an earlier draft of the movie where that somebody forgot like right, yeah they, they cut the rest out and they were just like nah it still works yeah when cameron crow was like i really just want the movie to start this way and they were like oh so so gonna bookend it and he was like no <laughs> actually no i'm doing something different uh, thanks though yeah but you're right so he he he's doing it he's like with dictators on a bus who's like a like a weird hugo chavez stand-in and because they're talking about like george bush and he's and also toy story it's really it's a weird moment it's very quirky um 
And then he's like on a plane that's th- flying through a storm. And I feel like it's important to spend time on this because the theme of adventure is is a big one in this movie. And the son over voiceover is like, my dad loved adventure, but nothing could prepare him for this one. And then it's like, title, we bought a zoo. And that's how the movie starts. And then it goes right into kind of like this next sort of montage sequence of the dad clearly time jump. Uh, He's not doing the adventuring anymore. He's adventuring at home with his kids because they're getting ready for school. And he's like making sandwiches. And it's the typical. He doesn't make sandwiches. That's the whole thing. He forgets the sandwiches. He forgets to make sandwiches because he's clearly so frazzled and frantic. It's clearly making the sandwiches was not his responsibility in the past. Something's changed. Um, Yes. And he ends up buying the kids uh, Subway sandwiches for lunch. We see in the next scene, they're driving to school. Um, and he has, he's in a very subtle piece of product placement, brought, bought his children <laughs> uh, Subway sandwiches. And you're kind of like, this dad's all over the ice. Like, I wonder what the deal, we know what the deal is, well, but you're like, I wonder what the deal is. I wonder what the deal is. And then he's, you know, chastising his son, Dylan, for you know, not doing his homework, but the son's like, I did my homework. And he's like, well, you got to try harder. And then the son very, you know, in a, in a piece of very blunt exposition says, nobody's going to give an F to a kid whose mom died six months ago. <laughs> and, I know. and when, when he says it too, like the subtle, uh, like ambient music in the background also changes. And there's mm-hmm. a shot of like uh, Matt Damon, like looking in the rear view mirror. Yes. And it's just like, it's so clearly they're like, yeah, yeah, let that one sink in. The mom's <laughs> dead. Everyone, the mom's gone. The mom died six months ago. Six months ago. And the dad still hasn't gotten his shit together. And the s- and that's what we're explaining. Yes. Through, the, through this one-two punch of frantic breakfast scene and mom died needle drop, we know everything <laughs> we need to know about this family. Yes, immediately. And yeah. and it's pretty like that's really all you need to know. Then the kids go to school. The kids go to school uh, and there's the the moms are all very horny for Matt Damon. So unbelievably horny. They all keep Yeah. They keep giving him lasagna um and they like the the what the, it's a weird scene. He yeah. drops the kids off at school and this one woman uh is extremely horny yeah. and like approaches him and gets Way too close. Way to too his close, face. and she's like, uh, "Gave you, made you lasagna, perfect for three or four. And she gets like, like really so, close to him. Yeah, it's so intense and so creepy. And he plays it off like very. Po- I would have been like, "Lady, my wife just died six months ago." Yeah, well, I think uh, th- that was in an earlier draft of the script, but they were like, "No, no, no <laughs> let's have the son say it in the car," and they couldn't do it twice. Yeah. But he like very politely brushes her off, yeah. um, it, but takes the lasagna and he's like, this is great. Thanks. Bye. Yeah. And we later we later learned that he, he he's had practice, you know, rejecting women and taking lasagna because his fridge is chock-a-block full of lasagna. There's a lot of like little funny, very quirky moments that they do put in, yeah. um, which is nice because I guess if, yeah, if you're doing a, a film predominantly focusing on like a single father with two kids yeah. who's lost his, the love of his life, uh, you need the little pick-me-ups. You need a little levity. And, and I think this movie, that's one of the things that this movie does really well. And there are some moments that I'll call attention to where it, like, it really feels like sometimes, caveat sometimes, that these mm-hmm. are like real people with real quirks who are like dealing with something real. And then other times you get a scene, uh, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, yeah. but... <laughs> You get a scene like the real estate agent in the car. Oh my god! With, 
we'll get we'll get there we'll fucking get there oh wait one of one of the little like quirky things that i wanted to bring up is like in that opening like frantic breakfast scene he gets like a phone call and he's like no i I can't go hiking right now sorry and then then the next scene is is this or like after he drops the kids off at school is the scene with his brother and he's like this woman she just keeps calling me to go hiking like (laughs) and it's funny it's like it's like oh yeah that's who was calling him before man he really has a lot of really women really early in the morning (laughs) to see if he wants to go hiking Um, but yeah, so then moving yeah. moving right along, he meets up with his brother, who's brother. played by I, Tom, who's, who's Thomas Hayden Church. Great actor. He's really funny. He's really funny in this movie. He's very weird. Yes, this, he is so his his acting choices are weird, and the character is written very weird. He plays this sort of like laid back California dude, um, uh, old, older is, dude. He's he's the older brother, and he looks maybe he's like in his fifties. And he's had a divorce. Uh, Sheila left him. Sheila left him, which we'll talk about Sheila. We'll talk about Sheila. Yeah. Um, so he's sort of, uh, the characters are very similar, actually. Him and his brother both seem to be sort of mm-hmm. like adrenaline junkies. Um, for some reason, you get the idea that they come from wealth somehow. They do They, they do mention uh, that their father left an inheritance later. So yeah. I think that's that's a good call. Yeah. So the brother sort of has gone through like his adrenaline junkie days of doing all this random stuff to get over Sheila. Right. So he's talking to, in the scene, he's he's talking to Matt Damon's character's younger brother and kind of being like, you know, you got to get yourself back out there yeah. and like, it'll be okay. Like when Sheila left me, obviously very different situations, but he's yeah. comparing the two. Uh, and Matt Damon's character just is basically more exposition saying he's having a really hard time being around all of the places that him and his wife used to go to. Right, because they are looking for a place to have lunch together and uh, Duncan, his brother, suggests they go to Little Dom's, a cafe, and Matt Damon is like, no, can't do it. That's where we met. We can't, I can't go there. This is also where we learned that his his wife's name was Catherine. Um, mm. But he's like, can't go to Little Dom's. We met at Little Dom's. That's going to be too hard for me. And even Duncan is like, ah, that's okay. That one's fair. We, I get it. What's funny, here's a, here's a question for you. That one of the places that they suggest to go is uh, a place called Bernie's. And it and the uh, situation is that, ah, it looks like Bernie's is closed. Do you think that this was foreshadowing the uh, 2020 election campaign by Bernie Sanders and the fact that Bernie ended up not getting the nomination? Interesting. Well, they do say something after it. Um, they say Bernie's is closed, and then he says, which means that Bernie is hungover. Because mm, mm-hmm. it said closed for maintenance or something. Right. There was like a little sign posted on the door. Uh, and it makes me think that maybe Bernie is a very lackadaisical owner uh, and just puts that sign on the door whenever they don't feel like opening the restaurant up. So are you, are you saying that my read, that a movie that came out in 2011 would be foreshadowing political events of 2020, is actually incorrect? No, 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 no. I just think that uh, I don't think Bernie is a lackadaisical candidate. That's true. You know what? That's fair. You know what? That's that's the thing that pokes a hole in this. You're right. Yeah. Um, and that's just logic. Like that's yeah. just me using logic. Other than that, sound. Yes, I would agree. Super sound. Something something that I do want to point out, and and this will come back later, uh, is that this movie does take place in 2010. So let's just keep our eyes on on that on the fact that this movie takes place yes. in 2010. Yes. Um, so the next scene, he goes to his boss's office and the boss is oh, like, yeah. uh, he's trying to pitch a new web series, or not web series, he's trying to pitch a new uh, journalism series. Yeah, like a, like a docu-series, yes, I guess. Yeah, or... yeah, yeah. Called Ipocalypse, which is terrible. Um, 
and it's about technology yeah technology and volcanoes and uh the boss is like that no just go do an online blog or something because print media is dying and then benjamin quits Mm -hmm. and refuses a benefits package which is irresponsible for his family it was an insane scene where he's like i quit and he's like well and the boss is super chill and he's like well at least let me lay you off so you can get you you know like your benefits and he goes I won't take your pity. Sympathy. He doesn't want like, sympathy. Yeah, yeah. Sympathy. Yeah. Uh, and watching the scene, I was like, you have two kids and your wife just died and you just quit. Your What is happening? It's a, well, that's that's another thing that points to your point of like, well, he must come from money if he's not worried about that. Yeah. Like he but must then, be somewhat secure. I had that, that thought. Yeah. And then it pretty much jumps to when the kids are back home and you see the fridge and like the living situation. You see more of the yeah. house. Well, we're missing a very, you can't jump oh. right to there because we're missing Wait, what happened? something what happened? very important, which is as he's leaving the office, he gets a call that Dylan is in the principal's office. Oh, yeah. This is, and this is, if, if we got everything we need to know about the family before, this gives us everything we really need about Dylan. Yeah. And their relationship. Yes. Uh, th- Dylan has been caught stealing uh, it's I, I don't think it's clear. Char- charity money. It's, yeah, it's not clear what he was. He was stealing a cash box. But it's is it for a fundraiser? Was it like the lunch money? It's not clear. Um, I think it was for a fundraiser. And he's in the principal's office. And while he's there, there's two two important things that happen in this sequence. The first is that Benjamin tries to fix the principal's squeaky window. <laughs> That, I, there, <laughs> that is that is important because that says a lot about benjamin's character going to the rest of the movie yes he like gets up and gets a small screwdriver out of his pocket yeah. to fix oh, wait, this I, window wait, i never even noticed that he just has a screwdriver yeah like he takes out like a bunch of like axle keys or like a screwdriver oh, and the son is clearly in trouble but also like extremely embarrassed that his father is taking the time right now in this situation to do this and of course comedic yeah. timing yeah as soon as he starts doing this to the window the principal walks in and he's like hey can you not fucking touch my window <laughs> yeah the kid the D- dylan is more embarrassed by the by benjamin fucking with the window than he is about like being caught stealing yeah um, yeah which again says a lot yeah and then the other thing that happens in this sequence is that the principal shows benjamin the disturbing artwork that dylan has made which yes first of all like i think this is the school's fault for putting it up in the first place if they didn't want it displayed (laughs) it's very crazy to me that they would punish dylan rather than have a conversation with him but also it's weird because the principal's like yeah the stealing is bad um but also come with me i need you to see something and he takes him down the hallway and he shows them a bunch of like big poster boards that the kids have made and, and kids made one about like recycling and whatever and dylan's is like a head being decapitated yes um and it's sick it's a really good drawing it's really like, good a, he's a really good artist yeah. um and the weird thing though is the principal's like this is where i draw the line and dylan is now like suspended and he's no, kicked he's, ex- out he's expelled yeah he's, oh, he's expelled. expelled he's he's kicked out he said he says um, uh this is a you know we're a three strike school and this is his fourth strike right which makes me think it's about the stealing because the stealing is that's bad yeah but uh, yeah because that's the thing is that like the other two things that he must have done before are probably still more in the realm of like acting out because his mom died Right. Which is still like I would classify the stealing as part of that, so it's wild to me. And then even even then, when he is getting expelled in that conversation between the principal and Benjamin, Matt Damon, I keep I keep going back and forth between calling him Benjamin and Matt Damon. <laughs> but when he's having that conversation with Ben Damon, 
he <laughs> he he's like you know from one parent to another you know you have to look inward and it's like well if you have sympathy for this kid and you clearly know the situation why are you expelling him rather than you know i don't know having some sort of family intervention with a like a a, a child therapist or something like uh because zach plot points plot. they need to they need to keep the story going they do plot points and public education is is uh dismal in this country um uh, true so but 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 the the approach that benjamin takes is you know the the kind of good fatherly thing where they're outside the school going to the car and he's like you know the drawing that's one thing like you know yeah you you're a good artist. He's like, I wish you wouldn't draw stuff like that, but like you're talented. Right. He's like, what I can't stand is the, I can't believe you stole. And he, yeah. go, he the thing he says is I'm so disappointed. Yeah. And it's like that true, everybody says this, like the worst feeling is when your parents, they're not mad at you, mm -hmm. they're disappointed in you. Yeah. So you really get the vibe that like him and his Dylan and his dad, Benjamin, yeah. uh, they disagree on a lot of stuff. And it seems to have been accelerated by the mom dying. Yes. Um, so they're kind of like already there's headbutt and there's like friction between the two. Yeah. And, um, that, and that kind of becomes a central dynamic for the rest of the movie is, is this tension yeah, between the whole movie. Dylan and, and uh, Benjamin. And before we move on from, from this to get back to the, the home scene that you mentioned earlier, the one other thing about this scene, which I find totally wild is they have chosen an insane music cue to take us from Dylan getting expelled to them walking into the parking lot. And it's- What was the music cue? I forget. It's, it's a Tom Petty song called Don't Come Around Here No More. And <laughs> it's it's just like, it's so out of place because it's like sitar music and like it's wild. And I, I clocked it when I was watching it and I was like, why did they choose this movie to play it for 20 seconds so that we could transition <laughs> to them walking into the parking lot? And it's clearly just because it's called Don't Come Around Here No More and he got expelled. That's so funny. <laughs> it, wait, so uh, did they even say the lyrics in it? Like, Don't Come Around Here No More? I think it's just the instrumental that the, in the like the intro that takes us to, to the, the parking lot. So for anyone to understand that as an Easter egg, they would have to look up what song yeah. is playing. Which I only did because the song is so out of place in that scene. Anyway, uh, we anyway. we get to their home life. We see the lasagna in the fridge. And the most kind of tragic thing that is happening is that Rosie, the eight-year-old daughter, is making sandwiches for her and her brother for the next day. Yeah, she's making the peanut butter and jellies. Yeah. Uh, and and Matt Damon is just sitting at the kitchen table, and uh, he says, "Ha, Rosie, am I doing anything right?" <laughs> <laughs> Which is like such a a weird thing to ask an eight year old. And her response is even weirder. She says. You're handsomer than the other dads, which is yeah, that was super weird. Very weird. There, there are moments in this movie that feel like, like very clearly, a child was written by an adult. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. She, she says that, and and he's like, ha ha. Like they laugh. Yeah. She's the like, hee hee hee, and she's like, yeah. A lot of them are like losing their hair, and it's like, what the fuck? What, this like, eight year old. It's 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 so clearly not something an eight year old would say. I think other times Rosie has written really well in this movie. I think this is not one of those moments. Um, no, she she's like the type of child character where if you were to take her and put her in a different genre of movie, so like say a horror yeah. movie, she would be absolutely like terrifying because she's been possessed by some old soul demon. Yes. Um, yeah. But and yeah, you're right. She 
while Dylan plays like the rebellious teen, um, she takes on like a weird kind of like motherly role. Um, yeah, it's in a sense. It's 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 weird because then like there's also a, a subplot which you know ends but never begins where she's like raising baby peacocks. It's very weird. Oh yeah, it, that we never see the beginning of that subplot. We just see the resolution of it. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. You, yeah, I forgot about. See, I forgot about yeah. that. Um, um, she occupies a lot of spaces where she has to kind of like be the head of the household and also be like a precocious eight-year-old and also be kind of like the bedrock to how we view Benjamin as a good father as opposed to how we see him as a bad father to Dylan. Yes, he's very sweet with Rosie. He he and Rosie get along extremely well. Yes, and this is de- this is deliberate. He's he's aware that he's doing. This. Yes, yeah, and they and it's brought up later actually. Yes. Um Scar- ScarJo brings it up with Scar- him. We haven't even gone to ScarJo yet. We'll we'll, we'll we talk, we'll talk about ScarJo. Um, Whole can of worms. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, uh, but, but jumping but jumping ahead. So yeah, that's uh, like the home life. That's the home life. The other thing that happens, which is kind of like the impetus for them looking to buy a zoo or buy a home and uh, find a zoo is, well, we haven't even gotten to the zoo. Are they buying a zoo? We don't know yet. Um, We don't know yet. There is a party going on next door and Rosie says they're happy is too loud, which I think is a sweet little uh, ism. That's clearly like a family ism. Um, But there's a party going on. The horny moms are there and they like, wave to matt damon Look through, over. The it's hor- through like rosie's <laughs> yeah, window through like rosie's it's rosie's window. bedroom <laughs> it's so weird but but that is kind of the moment where matt damon is like we should move he's also there's a moment where he's standing in the bathroom and he has a lot of like medication so clearly he's like been depressed and he also has a lot of his wife's jewelry just sitting in the in the bathroom yeah still. makeup and yeah. like like cosmetic stuff um yeah, so again, very not heavy-handed, but it's very like oh, all the places in town I can't go anymore and this house, this you house know, like too. it's yeah. this he, house is my wife. This, um, this is This house is my wife. Was that Monster House where the house was the wife? <laughs> um Smart House where the house wants to be the wife. Oh my god, there's um, a lot of movies where the house is the wife actually, it turns out. That's a whole genre. I'm going to change my Twitter bio to my house is my wife. <laughs> This is not my beautiful wife. Wait, 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 it's both. This is my beautiful house and this is my beautiful wife. This be- because they're the same. <laughs> this is my beautiful house. Wait, the word housewife. Has it been a pun this housewife. whole- Has it been a- Wait, was smart house just a pun? Was smart house just mm. a pun on housewife? Oh, fuck. Oh my fucking God. Okay. Um, the, the other thing that happens that I just want to call out before we move on is that Matt Damon finds Dylan's drawing of dis- a notebook of disturbing drawings. And one of them is literally just like the cover of The Court of the Crimson King by King Crimson. That's just like that screaming oh, face. Yes. That's just like, ah! Yes, yes, yes. And it's just clearly... What, who, what, whoever in the art department was in charge of like filling Dylan's notebook was, was just like vibing to King Crimson and was like, "I'm gonna do the I'm gonna do the album art on this one. I'm gonna do something." And again, Dylan's a good artist. Dylan it's, is a good. It's, like, it's established. He's a good artist. It's well done. Yes. So yes. So home life again, very a little bit expository. I would say mm-hmm. like they're not really showing as much as they are telling. The characters are like saying how they feel, but that's fine. Um, but then we jump. A little bit because okay we get it they don't want to live there anymore yeah. okay he's looking for he's property. looking he's yes. looking for real they estate ju- they jump right the next they are in the car with the real estate agent played by jb smooth doing a, 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 a baffling character 
an incredible character <laughs> who is extremely talkative. Yep. And you find out that it is his first day as a real estate agent, which is a hilarious little tidbit to give. It, I will say what this film does well is these sort of like side quest characters, mm -hmm. um, these like NPC-esque characters. They make them pretty dang funny and they all have their own clear quirks like from the jump. Uh, and this guy's quirk is that he doesn't know when to shut up and it's great. Yes. Um, he, and he's like so excited to talk to them. And also they're all in the car together, which maybe that's an L.A. thing. What do you mean? Would, would they not be? I don't. Well, I guess I'm used to New York where like you just fucking walk there and you meet the like I don't well, ride you in can't, a car. Well, yeah, you can't. You can't. Um... Like, did he pick them up? I think so. Because in LA, you have to drive everywhere. Well, we don't so know it if it's, it's not LA. They're in California somewhere. Or California. Um, but they they can't... I think it's probably closer to San Diego. I, I don't actually know. Because Rosemore is not a real place. That, so yeah. it's... I have no idea where, like, realistically they are. But you have to drive everywhere. And also, if they're seeing, like, multiple houses bunch, in one day... Yeah. I mean... You would carpool. Yeah. It makes sense. Yeah. I mean, reduce carbon emissions. Um, yeah, the, no, it, it makes sense. The other thing that's important to note is Dylan is not with them. It is just Rosie and Benjamin. And they, yes. they're like, ah, sucks that Dylan couldn't join us. And this is important later because Dil it's very important to the plot of the movie that Dylan does is not aware of the choices being made in this sequence. Yes. <laughs> yes. And you're like, okay, why didn't Dylan come? Because he's not in school because he got expelled. Yeah. So he's sitting at home, I would assume. And they're like, bye, Dylan. We're going to do something. See you later. He, he doesn't even seem aware that they're moving later. When No. Yeah. yeah. So, so it feels like it must have been like Dylan is sitting at home on the couch with like headphones in and Benjamin's like, hey, Dylan, we're going to go look at houses because we're moving. And Dylan is just like, whatever. Yeah. Um, and then Benjamin says, don't say whatever, because that's another thing in the movie. Yeah. It's kind of nitpicky. Yeah. Um, but 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 anyway, they're, they're in the car. This is this is one of the moments that I think Rosie has written really well because they're, mm. they're just like talking about seeing houses. And then Rosie just like out of nowhere says, our mommy died. Yeah. And that like little three-way interaction of her being like, our mommy died. JB Smoove being like, I'm so sorry to hear that. And Matt Damon being like, you know, he was, he's a stranger. He, he didn't know mommy. It's a, you don't have to tell him that. And then her being like, I wish he'd known mommy. Like, yeah, that, it's very sweet. That is a good, well-written moment. And then JB Smoove comes in with, oh, you know, I, 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 you know, she's so sweet. I picture her just like you. I picture her. I picture a grown woman with your face. And it's like, what are you talking about, man? <laughs> oh, he just like he's he's trying to be nice. Like it's obviously awkward, yeah. and he's just like, oh, but if I knew your mom, I bet I, I bet I'd like her because she'd be like you, and and yeah, yeah, grown woman with your face. And Matt Damon is like what the fuck absolutely deranged um but then they then there's a great little montage of them going to houses and and rosie like shaking her head at all the ones they yeah see. this one's not no. it yeah and then um rosie points out on the piece of paper that someone gave her uh that says <laughs> she's like what about this one and she like hands it to matt damon and i paused and i looked at this real estate listing and it is wild because they're like, oh, 18 acres. What are we going to do with 18 acres? And it says 18 acres. It says, quote, this is a unique ranch property. I wrote it down. Nowhere does it mention that there is a zoo. It's also not a ranch. The house is not a ranch. It's like a three-story. It's a two-story. Oh, it's a two-story. What is? Does ranch mean one story? What does ranch mean? I believe ranch is like, yeah, it's it's one story. It's one floor. 
ranch style is like one floor. Okay, maybe do they, then do they mean ranch literally where there's like a ranch? With they're animals? like there's horses. Yeah, like, where, so where they're like they try to they're <laughs> dancing around it. Yeah, they're trying to not say zoo outwardly, yeah. so they're like they're like lots of wildlife ranch style, <laughs> like, what? farm adjacent, farm yeah, farm esque. Right. Um, farm. The other the other wild thing about this is that like it doesn't mention the zoo, but it does mention that there are HOA fees on the list. Ah! <laughs> that's so fucking funny. I did not think to pause and look at it. Oh man, that's good. But yeah, so then so then the real estate agent is like, ah, oh, ha, 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 this place, ha, ha, it's kind of special. And yeah. again, dance, like, nobody is saying. Nobody, he does not mention this, that it that it is a zoo. Um, but they drive all the way out they there. They drive all the way, 9.2 miles. They get to the property and they're like looking around. They're like, this is perfect. This is what we've been looking for. And the real estate agent is like, ah, you know, uh, don't get ahead of yourselves. And it, he's clearly he's clearly backed himself into a corner by not telling them immediately what the situation is. And also, I'm assuming like they drive in, they see the house first, like they go to the house. I don't know how this place is set up. It, it's hard for me to understand how the setup is that right. they didn't realize that it was a fucking zoo when they got there. Yeah, because later we see like, the driveway up to the zoo and there's like an arch that says Rosemore Zoological Park. So it must be a separate entrance from where the house sits on the property. But anyway, they see the house and they're like, we love it. And the real estate agent says a very weird thing, which is don't take a gift that's not given to you yet, which is a weird thing for a real estate agent or anyone to say. (laughs) And then right on cue, when they're dancing around what's unique about the property, the lion roars from outside. And it's and so loud somehow it's inside. so loud. Even though it, I think later it's unclear how close the lion is to the rest of the property. It seems like the lion is like fairly centralized in the zoo. So it's weird that it would be that loud. Anyway, um, at 18 minutes and 38 seconds into the movie, they say, it's a zoo. And we have our first mention of zoo. In this they film, they say the title. They say the title. It's a zoo. No, they don't. Act. No, they do, they do say the they, title. They say the title a couple times. Eventually, but that's that's not for another few minutes. Um, yeah, they they visit the lion Solomon, and this is kind of where we get the rules of this world, like the the very weird and specific world building that needed to be in place in order for the situation to happen, which is the zoo ownership has been abandoned and the state has taken it over but is only going to sell it to a private buyer and is not going to is not going to allow the animals to be donated to any other shelters or i guess rescue centers and if nobody buys the zoo and takes on all of the animals then the animals are going to get put down and also if you buy the zoo you have to take on the staff and also maintain the park and none of this was made clear in the real estate listing. And it is so unclear. Like, wouldn't it be more expensive for the state to have to, like, maintain this? Maintain that, yeah. Rather than just yeah. donate the animals and not pay a staff? It's, it's absolutely bizarre. Yeah. And the best part of it is, like, all of these rules. Like, th- this is, like, law heavy. Like, t- getting this property is not, I assume, not an easy task. But in this film, yeah, Benjamin, Benjamin Me is like, huh, a zoo, you say? Like... He's he's already like interesting. That's kind of quirky, like kind of <laughs> fun. 
Uh, but he, but he's also like, he's also like, ah, oh, that's too bad, you know. Uh, yeah, he's, clearly, clearly we can't. Clearly buy we can't. But he looks at Rosie, and it's, and she's like, she puts her head down, and yeah, th- there's um, there's, I think in real life, the the real Benjamin me, I think he he applied, and it took him like two years to actually buy the zoo. I think like uh, yeah, I was I was gonna say I, it probably takes a fucking long time yeah. to like get your permits and licensing, and and so that people are like, yeah, you human being. Who, who is buying this property can definitely do this you with no zoological experience right so anyway they, they they lose track of rosie for a second and they find her she's feeding peacocks and she says i'm gonna live here and she's like so excited and yeah. and that's the moment that like clinches it for benjamin and if i were talking about the symbolism of sunlight in this movie then i would mention that the sun is shining behind him in this scene but i'm, I'm not going to go into that in this episode but he sees rosie and he's like his heart breaks for her and he's like this is i we, you know we gotta buy this too. so jumping ahead there is no like intermission of years. They buy the zoo and then they move in. And well, well, the, the the one scene that is, I'm looking at my notes. There are two. There are two very important scenes that happen right before they move in. One of them is the scene with the brother where he's like, "You're gonna spend dad's inheritance on this." This is the the groundwork for the t- the timeline of the film where Matt Damon says, "You know, the the zoo makes all its revenue in the summer. We can or 75 percent of its revenue in the summer." We can, uh, if we can open by July, we'll be fine. It's February now. So everything that happens in this movie takes place between February and July of 2010. Mm. Um, And this is also where we get a lot of information about Duncan's relationship with Sheila. Or like what happened after his relationship with Sheila where he's like... After after she left you, you started handicapping horses and you went on a commercial shrimping boat. Yeah, like so much information that's clearly meant to like to make Benjamin feel okay with buying this crazy zoo because his brother has done some fucked up shit. Yeah. But also like, who the hell is this Duncan character? He's in, like, there should be a movie about him. Right? His his He also has no right to tell Benjamin not to buy a zoo because he's like, all of this shit. The other thing that is so wild is that he says that one of the, the, the things that he did was go cliff diving at the age of 38, which raises the question, when did Sheila leave him? And why is he yeah. still hung up on her? Yes. Because yes. he looks like he's like in his early 50s. And mm-hmm. if he went cliff diving at 38 after Sheila left him, it's probably been a good 15 or more years since this right. relationship. And he's telling Benjamin to get over his dead wife six months later. He's like, everybody loved it. Also needs to be said, Everybody loves Catherine. She seemed like an absolute wonderful person. Yeah. Uh, Catherine did not love Duncan a lot. Yes. Like she, she thought I, and I assume she thought what most people watching this film think is like, oh, he's kind of like an idiot. Yeah. Like he doesn't have a shit together. He's kind of a mess. Yeah. She, she explicitly. Um, we'll get to that scene with the letter, but she explicitly is like, don't listen to Duncan. Yeah. Like Duncan doesn't give good advice. Yeah. Um. But so Duncan tries to give him advice, yeah. and Benjamin's kind of like, no. no. The the other thing <laughs> that is established in this scene, which just raises more questions about like the government's role in all this, is he says that seven endangered species live on the zoo, which is a- another wild thing that has been left up to the state to control seven endangered species and and they were going to get put down if the zoo wasn't sa- like that to me is wild that to right me like is wild. nobody's coming to rescue the endangered species you're going to put them down because nobody bought this goddamn old zoo yeah. um so the, insane california the next scene is dylan finding out that this is happening right yes, yes. okay which is hilarious because basically like hey son they're at dinner yeah. and he's like hey son we're gonna move we're gonna move to this zoo yes and he's like and it's as if 
it's as if the scene picks up right after Matt Damon says that because he's like, I don't want to go. Yeah. So we're not moving to a freaking zoo. None of my, uh, we're going to move nine miles away from the nearest target. That's like a whole thing that comes back. Oh, yeah. Um, and he says this line, which kind of like encapsulates a lot of their dynamic, which is, uh, this is what you want. It's not what I want, which is right. very true. I'm not Matt Damon. And also well written for a teenager. Yes. There's the, the fight scene that happens later between the two of them, I think is like, I, I felt like I was watching, we'll get there, but like, I felt like I was watching another movie. Like that was incredible. Um, yeah. He, he, this kid actor, I, uh, if we can talk about him for a second, he is mostly really bad but sometimes he's really good sometimes he's really good and i think the 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 bad acting also just comes from like here's i i can imagine you know the director or whoever being like cameron crow you know like for well yeah but maybe not cameron crow telling him exactly yeah. but like all right for this like look moody at the camera because mm. a lot of the shots it just like will get dylan for a moment like a situation's going on and he'll like look up and he just kind of has this like bad boy look up at the camera and it's like so corny um but clearly that's what they wanted but, but i don't i think that's an actor thing i don't think it's a director thing because cameron crowe like in jerry Maguire and in almost famous like he knows how to direct young actors like fair i fair I, yeah so yeah maybe it isn't it maybe the choices he was making weren't that great it's, i think it, e- either, the actor. yeah either that or since those are like older cameron crowe movies he has perhaps lost his touch. That is the other option because also this is his first narrative film in after Elizabethtown. Um, so six years later, oh dang, it is it is possible that he has simply lost his touch. Um, and I think Aloha would definitely speak to that. But this Oof. is not a Cameron Crowe podcast. This is a We Bought a Zoo podcast. Um, the other so so they they tell Dylan they're buying the zoo. Dylan's upset. Um, the other cute thing that happens in this scene before we move on is um matt damon uh they're eating dinner oh, and he yes. says he says give me some fork and they and him and him and rosie tap forks and that is just another one of those like little family idiosyncrasies that is like a cute moment that feels like a well-written lived-in family like yes. this and then- is yeah Adding to that, I forgot what happens too before they move is that Matt Damon is going through some of the clothing. That, um, that's the that's the next scene. Oh, it but, is. But before we before we get to that, the yeah. the other thing that happens in this dinner table scene, which is very important, which we talked about earlier, is that Rosie says we bought a zoo. Ah. At at twenty three minutes and forty one seconds, we Rose, bought a zoo. She says we bought a zoo. Yeah, it's a. Uh, classic i classic. love when they say the name they, in the film I and love they say it. they say it again they they say the name of this movie like three times in this movie is which, it always rosie no i think i think at the end it's benjamin saying it to his brother i don't hmm. remember yes the next scene is them going through the clothes and i just want to pause here and say that this is as far as i got in that first recording oh Jesus, we, we are yeah we are an hour in to this and already we're doing but i mean we're still you know taking our time but yeah. but we are doing better than um the first recording with Amr. Um <laughs> let's let's keep it going. Let's keep let's keep it going. You said you were going to be on my ass about stuff. You have not been on my ass about stuff. Okay, Zach. All right, ready, Zach? Shut the fuck up. Okay. Let's keep going. That's fair. Okay, so the next scene, yeah. uh yeah, Matt Damon and Benjamin is going through uh some clothing like they're mm-hmm. trying to pack and purge and clearly they're going through some of the mom's clothing too yep. and, and what they're going to keep. And Matt Damon pulls out um, this sweater yes. and he's like, 
gonna pack it and then Rosie or he's gonna purge it or something. He's like, ah, yeah. oh, this is old. And Rosie's like, oh, like mommy used to wear that. Yes. So again, it's this like touching, heartfelt moment. He's like, oh, you know, actually, this is my sweater. Uh, but yeah, you're, you're I, I guess your mom like yeah. did kind of take it over and and did wear it a lot. So then there's this moment of like, are we gonna throw it away? Yeah, and and Rosie's the one who's like, it? she's like, I think it's time for the sweater to start over. So Rosie's the one who's like, we're gonna get rid of the sweater. Yeah, Rosie's making these choices about Ida. Yeah. He holds up something else that's like ugly, and Rosie's like, "No, get rid of it." No, he also um, he holds up that ugly, creepy little monkey toy, and oh, Rosie... but no, she likes that. So yeah, so it's kind of like okay, they're you know they're going through this grieving process, and he's mm-hmm. moving, so they're getting rid of this stuff, which is heartfelt. Yeah, um, the sweater does come back. We we will talk about that later. Yes, but um, the next the next scene they are in the they are well, I guess not in the moving van, but they are in their car, the moving van behind them. They are driving to the zoo. It's pouring rain. They pass by little doms on the way. And Matt Damon looks and he sees his wife in the window mm. sitting at the cafe, turning to look at him in the car. And he shakes his head and they keep driving. And this doesn't this only happens a few times in the movie. It's it's set up very early in this scene as if it's gonna be more present, this kind of like presence of the wife. Which I guess she does kind of hang over the movie, but but it she doesn't appear physically very often. And No, and and only really at the end, and it's like this a lot of it. It's yes. it's very like the it's weird because it's so surreal, obviously. Like mm-hmm. this is a very surreal thing happening. But uh yeah, they don't do it often enough where you're yeah. like it's not a surrealist element. They just kind of shove it at the end to be like, and here's the wife, and here's a lot yes. of imagery of the wife. Yes, they do it, they do it three times. The first is this where she's just in the cafe. The the last one is them in like at the the final scene of the movie, which I like a lot, but we will talk about I, that. I like it too, yeah. Um and the 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 other one is when he's looking and I love this scene, which which we'll get to, but when he's looking at the photos on his computer and like he sees them dancing in the kitchen. I yeah, love the photos that. become real. Yeah. Very, um, very like Eternal Sunshine esque. Yeah, um, yeah. With the blending of of the worlds, like all of a sudden, you know, he's watching it on a computer, and then they are dancing in front of him. Mm-hmm. Uh, again with the sunlight, and we'll talk about. Yeah, but we'll talk anyway, not this episode. Not on this episode. So anyway, they're they're moving. They are moving. It's raining. We meet uh, Elle Fanning briefly. She yes. is setting up. Um, what would you call it? Letterboard. Like yes. A... Yeah. A letterboard that says, welcome, brave new owners in the cafe called the Jaguar. And she's wearing a, a shamrock sweater, which is great. I clock mm-hmm. every time that she has a new sweater in this movie. It's incredible. She has her, got- her sweaters in this movie are out of this fucking world. Yes. And also, I didn't know she was in this movie. So when I saw Ellie Fanning, I was like, oh, cool. Great. Stars of the cast. Yes. And she's good. I think she's great in this movie. She's adorable. She yeah. plays somebody so much younger than herself, but she does a good job. Yes, um, um, I think I think it helps because the well, we'll get to the, who the character is, but like the character is somebody who like does not have a lot of social experience. So it's everything she does is like believable as somebody who doesn't have social experience. Yes, she does that very well. Yes, um, um, they they are unpacking in the rain. Scarlett Johansson, like we, this is the first time we see her. She's like standing off, like like crossing her arms, looking at them. She's like, "Oh, who are these guys coming in? City slickers coming into my zoo." Um, mm. They're like getting settled in the house, and then they meet the cast of characters. Yes, the the crew of the zoo. The zoo crew. The zoo crew. The zoo crew, as it uh, were. And we've got Scarlett Johansson, who is the leader of the pack. Yes. 
playing Kelly Foster, the the zookeeper. That I mean, I'm saying Scarlett Johansson is that is where my knowledge of who plays these characters ends. Yeah, uh, we've got some other people. We got uh, some other. We got the we got the kid from Almost Famous playing yeah. uh, this guy named Robin who has a monkey on his shoulder. That's all you um, need to know. The monkey. Here's okay. Here's my pitch. Um, so the monkey is named Crystal, and she is like the most famous Hollywood monkey in modern times like she's in everything she's like she's the monkey from community like she's the monkey from the hangover like she crystal the capuchin is famous and i'm thinking like at some point in the in the life of this podcast i want to do a mini series or large series rather where i watch and review every movie that crystal has been in that is good and you take notes on her acting ability yes i'm thinking of like let's do a chris let's do a crystal series on this i think that's brilliant yeah i love that you know that too yeah oh oh i looked her up yeah because i looked her up and the insane thing is that she was born on May 6th, 1994. She she is exactly 2 days younger than me. Wow. I am I we were and she was born probably in in LA. We were maybe in the same hospital. That's insane. She's probably not in this. She was probably born no, in, she not was in a hospital. hospital. <laughs> no, definitely Zach, you're right. She <laughs> was in the, the hospital. She was born in a human hospital. Yeah. Um and because I was born in LA, so Wait, this is. Uh, I'm I'm more fat. I'm saying insane in the sense that like, that monkeys can live. How long do monkeys live? Well, she's 26. How long do monkeys live? Well, I don't I don't know. Do we do we want to like pause and no. now like both Google no. it? Zach, well, no, Zach, I'm, I'm cracking gonna... the whip. No, 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 I'm cracking, cracking the whip. Okay, we'll never know. We'll never know how long monkeys live. Which <laughs> we don't know. Okay, okay, moving on. Moving on. We have um the other two characters that three characters that we meet. Peter McCready. He's this like uppity scottish guy who is like the architect or like the designer of the zoo he like yeah, the engineer to he like builds yeah. the enclosures he, he's and... like he's like standardized a lot of zoo he's famous actually yes yeah he's extremely well known around the world for yes. um making yeah the, the standard of what they should be for these animals yes and then the other person we meet is Rhonda, who uh keeps the books and does the the phone and logistical stuff um we don't like we'll come back to Rhonda. we don't like Rhonda. and then uh now we know Elle fanning is named lily and we get the context she is scarlett johansson's little cousin she's been homeschooled and they are using her for uh under the table child labor <laughs> yes they're like we pay her off the books in yeah. cash <laughs> yeah um oh we also are introduced to the the mees family dog who is, we see in this one scene yeah who is who is barely in this fucking movie but is like sometimes you see him in the like in the bottom of the frame and you're like oh right they do have a dog don't they uh, and i his, almost i almost wonder if this was a dog that like was owned by the farmhouse like lived on the location of hmm. the zoo and they were like let's include him in the movie because he's going to be in the background constantly yeah uh they were like there's nothing we can do. this fucking dog will not go away so it's like a beagle it's like it's like a yeah, dog his name is um, Le- his name is leon and he's yeah. there he's just there i completely forgot that they had a dog because again you see him and they introduce him and they give him a fucking name and they yeah. talk about him and then you never see him again you never you barely see this dog um um, the next thing that happens, uh, they are introduced to some of the animals. Yeah, they get the um, tour. They get uh, the tour. Benjamin keeps trying to like be buddy buddy with Dylan and like touch his shoulder, and Dylan like fucking hates it. Yeah. Um, and everyone takes note of it. Everyone's like, "This guy's being weird." And then he's like, "We're pioneers of animal sponsors of animal greatness," and this is where we get like one of two animal antics with like Crystal the capuchin. Like she likes like does a face palm. 
And it kind of sets you up to be like, this monkey's going to do some antics in this movie. And then she doesn't. No, she doesn't. She doesn't. She does, <laughs> she's not comedic relief at all, really, for anything. No. Um, but Benjamin Mee does act really weird in this scene because he's clearly in over his head and a bit yeah. uncomfortable and like doesn't know what he's doing. So, yeah, it's very awkward. It's very awkward. And now we get to uh, meet the animals. Uh, Buster the bear, who's depressed. Uh, um, Benjamin says, are you missing your meds? Which is uh, a weird thing to say to anyone, let alone a bear. <laughs> we meet uh, another of the zoo guys named Nathan, who oh, just yeah. kind of looks like an off-brand Josh Gad. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know the actor's name. I'm sorry to, yeah, I don't know. to you off-brand Josh Josh Gad. Uh, we learn about Walter Ferris, who is McCready's oh. like mortal enemy. And then the very, here's an, like when I was talking about Elle Fanning being kind of charming as this person who doesn't understand social interactions, she like, the, like one of the first, she's like clearly so excited to like meet Dylan, who is someone who is like close to her age. I think she's like 12 or 13 and he's 14. Yeah. And like the first thing she says to him is, Where'd you get your shoes and how much did they cost? Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, it was so cute. And again, like it, you're pulled out of it a little bit because like she's clearly not 12. Like she's supposed to be 12, I think. Um, yeah, well, and he, she, ScarJo says she's 13 and then later Dylan says, she's, says 12. she's 12. So she's somewhere in there. Yeah, I think she's 13. But anyway, uh, she does such a good job of playing obviously a socially inept young girl who like mm-hmm. also doesn't know how to talk to boys. Yes. Um, and yeah, it's I I think I laughed out loud when she was like, Where's your shoes? How and how much do they cost? Yeah. And Dylan does not answer her. He just leaves and she's like, wait, 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 wait. She like runs after him. Yeah, it's very cute. Yeah. Um, so already, again, like they do a, a clear job of like setting up these dynamics. It's like, all right, Scarlett Johansson, like, she doesn't mess around, and Benjamin mm-hmm. Mead doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. Yeah. Uh, and these two kids, like, okay, she's kind of got a like a crush maybe on it. Like these two you, kids are gonna you interact. Can't, yeah, you you know that they're going to build at least a friendship and you can't tell if she's like into him or if she is just excited to talk to another kid yeah and then rosie is like just being cute rosie says like cute cute things the next thing is they meet the tigers and this is like the central zoo plot for the rest of the film is like the situation with the tigers or yes. one tiger spar the 17 year old bengal tiger who is old very old as far as tigers go and they've had the vet in from san diego to to take a look at him because he has a lot of health problems because he's so freaking old and benjamin does does not want to admit or address the fact that spar is on his last legs and we'll Mm. get more of that you know as the as the movie goes on but uh, Benjamin is is adamant that Spar is healthy. Yeah. Yes. Throughout the film. Um, yes. But yeah. So some of the zoo animals, are, like they're a focus, like Buster the bear. Like they make a point to introduce the animals. We don't mm-hmm. see a, a lot of other animals. Like there's really only no. a few that we actually get introduced to. Uh, yeah, you, but can, you, assume... you can really. Yeah, you can tell where the budget was, and they were like, we can <laughs> get three tigers, a bear, a lion, and some peacocks. And Crystal the Capuchin will make it and work. The, yeah, the rest is like up to your imagination. So even yes. in the background, like you never see 
Oh, and a box of snakes. And a box of snakes. Oh, and the box of snakes. Yeah, but they do uh, they do mention like oh the tortoise has beak rot, whatever that is. Yeah. So like you're you're assuming that the zoo is much bigger. Again, it's eighteen yeah. acres. Um, yeah. But yeah. So uh, the, introduction. Before before we move on, I do want to hear you do a, a tiger chef if you can. Oh. <laughs> Wait, is that how they did it? How did they well, do Scar- it? Scarjo goes like. Oh, it's oh really you're right. Weird. It's more like it's, that. Yeah. <laughs> And apparently that's how you call the tigers. Yeah, this is a this is the ASMR section of the podcast. It just sounds like I'm shivering. And I can't tell if she's like, if you chuff, the tigers do it back. And I can't tell if they actually did it back or not because they just kind of go like, like they just kind of yeah, like they kind of gr- they're like, yeah. <laughs> uh, I guess it's called chuffing though. Yeah. Yeah. The next thing that happens is this weird interaction between ScarJo and Matt Damon, where he calls the enclosure is a cage and she's like they're not called cages they're called enclosures my brief marriage that was a cage oh my god <laughs> there are and it's so strange there are some weird lines that the, they've chosen for this character kelly foster um yes. as explanations to like why she is the way she is yeah she's like i live um, with my mother <laughs> yeah like she's like i'm 28 and i never get to go out with my girlfriends i live with my mom yeah and it's like oh okay thank you for Thanks. telling me thank all you that kelly okay <laughs> All of the background information about these characters is given so clunkily, like the they're not going to give an F to a kid whose mom died six months ago. Like it's it's that kind of line delivery. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so you also get this information that like Scarlett Johansson works all the time at the zoo and she's skeptical of this new zoo owner um, because she's like, hopefully this person actually knows how to manage uh, an entire zoo, which, okay, yeah, fair enough. If I yes. put my heart and soul into a zoo and some random man bought it, I'd be like, who are you? Mm-hmm. Um, a random man yeah, with so, no ex- and she calls him out she's like you have no experience no one in the zoo community knows who you are why did you do um, this like why, why did, you, did you buy this you know what he says you know, tell me what he says why not and then he walks away <laughs> and then he walks away and she like smirks a little but if if that were me I'd be so mad I'd be that like was... that's not an answer that's so rude of you <laughs> that was so you you gave me like a quip and then you left and like I I would very that was like oh my god I can't even finish my thought I, I'd be furious I would be furious um all right let's jump ahead we we are going in but let's jump ahead to the next yes. like what is the next big moment uh, that we need to let, me, on? let me scroll through my notes here uh we see him paying a lot of bills and then the animal he like some more animal antics Dylan has this like very he's like falling asleep to this like clutching this very strange portrait of his him and his mom yeah like (laughs) i hate when they do this in films he has like a framed photo like a full-sized like whatever it is 12 by 8 framed photo yeah that he's like holding against him in bed and it's 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 like from a photo shoot like it is like an artsy lot of shadow very caravaggio black and white isn't it black and white yeah and i think of course i think you don't see his plane in the background. Uh, I would imagine so. I think if there's uh, ever like a, a somber, reflective moment, you gotta, you got, you better believe that my boy Yonsi's harming, harming it up. Harming what word harmin, am I looking for? Harming it up. He's harming. He's harming it up. I don't know what word I was trying to say. <laughs> hamming it up. I was looking for hamming, hamming. it up. Jesus Christ. Um, uh, yeah. So they're 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 really like pushing these emotional moments yes. sometimes where they're just like he's so sad. Yes. Um, uh, but the, anyway, yeah. The next big scene that happens is the party scene where they're all drinking in the cafe, and that's yes. where Benjamin kind of meets the crew less formally, and where we see 
McCready, the the Scottish guy, is really he's throwing darts at the face of at a picture of of Walter Ferris, who's the USDA inspector, and we really get he's like monologuing about his like rich history with animals, and we see like there's a poster in the background with like McCready as a young man like in a motorcycle with a tiger. It's 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 all like it, it's like blink and you miss it visual storytelling and it's insane yeah but you do you you do get like a nice sense of um the camaraderie between these employees like they all really like each other and they all like to hang out they're drinking in the jaguar cafe obviously after hours and benjamin b joins them and and he's accepted they they yes they're 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 vibing with him although i think i don't remember who it's either the the josh gad guy or or robin with the monkey who are like He's not going to last. Like they do like a little, uh-uh, I don't know. Yeah, but like yeah. they all, either way, they all like get along. And one very weird detail in this scene, I know that I'm not supposed to slow down, but one very weird detail is you can see Elle Fanning in the background, like changing the sign out. And the sign in the window says, it's Solomon's birthday. And I've never seen that. Yeah. And I, I guess it it's Solomon the lion's birthday. And it's weird that no one brings it up. That it's no, just they like, don't do anything. That it's just, this also feels like another relic from like a, a, maybe a change in the script where earlier it was established that everyone's drinking to celebrate Solomon the Lion's birthday. Or that the next scene they were going to jump to was like a celebration for Solomon's birthday, but they cut it out because they were like, this is extraneous. Like, we yeah, don't we do don't this. need any more animal antics. Let's get into some different <laughs> animal antics with Matt Damon trying to build an enclosure for the porcupines. Um, yes. That's a, yeah, so, that's a, that is another animal that appears in this movie. Oh, that's right. We do see the porcupines, but yeah. Yes. So like the next, the main, the main plot point going on right now is that they need to um, like prepare the zoo mm-hmm. because the USDA guy is going to come and basically determine if they are allowed to open the zoo to the public for the start of like their big summer season. Yes, um, and so in the meantime, we get all of this. Like he's like uh, repairing the porcupine enclosure. He has Duncan in the zoo helping him build like in the ostrich pen and it's weird that duncan has so much free time um because we well well, is it weird i feel like that man has a lot of free time no because we later see him they go to his workplace and he's like he's like he works at h&r block like yeah he does money he's like yeah yeah he has a full-time job and so it's it's weird that he just has so much free time to like come help his brother at the zoo maybe it's like the weekend yeah we we don't know um but but basically so they're they're trying to prepare and then dun 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 the USDA agent. Oh, you're comes... you, you're skipping a lot. Oh, am I? Okay. Yeah, wait. you skip. You skipped the box of snakes. You skipped the uh, giving him a sandwich. Wait, you, wait, wait, wait. But you skipped a lot. I'm, at, I'm talking about when he comes early. Yeah, that's not. Oh, that's really? Not yet. Yeah. Wait. Oh, I'm, okay. Okay. I'm scrolling through my notes. All yeah, right, let's you, go back. Yeah, let's go you're, back. You're okay. missing. You're missing. So they're fixing stuff. Two. There's at least three important things I want to touch on. Okay. That we can we can speed through, but because that is the next like plot centric thing that happens. But there are three important things that I want to touch on before we get to Walter Ferris arriving. Give them to me. Lily finds Dylan drawing in like a weird dilapidated shed, <laughs> and she's like, "I'm off at four. Every day at four fifteen, I'll bring you a sandwich." And it's <laughs> and it's so bizarre. And then that just becomes something she does. And she's yes, also and wearing she's wearing a great another great sweater. Yeah, and she's carrying a basket. Uh, it yeah. should be said, she's carrying a basket of sandwiches because clearly she goes around from the Jaguar Cafe and mm-hmm. brings some of the crew like lunch. Yes. So it's not weird that she's bringing Dylan a sandwich. She's just saying like, "Hey, I'm gonna do this now for you because like we can hang out." Yes, and he um, he is 
not very receptive to it, even though she's he like... He literally doesn't respond. Yeah. Like she, she is like all over his shoulder, like watching him draw, complimenting his art. And he's like, yeah, okay. Like he is such an oblivious little dipshit. I'm he's sick, so of, this. Standoff- I'm sick yeah, of this he, kid. He's so standoffish too. Like, yeah. like to the point where you're like, you're being extremely rude. Like if a parent, mm-hmm. if an adult was here, they'd be like, yo, acknowledge her. Like what? That, that's rude. Yeah. Um, um, then there's a little montage where, where Benjamin is just signing a bunch of checks because he is putting so much money into this zoo. A lot of money. We see Dylan. It's another day. Not clear how much time has passed, but Dylan is checking his watch impatiently, waiting for Lily to bring him a sandwich. <laughs> yes. Um, I know I said I was going to like go through this very quickly, but there's a very weird little moment where Rhonda is like, like going over all the bills and stuff. And she says something that's like very heartbreaking, which is that she's noticed that Dylan's clothes don't fit him. Oh yeah, and that she's like, she she thinks that Matt Damon should get him some new clothes. Yeah, it's a weird scene because you you get the sense that she takes on this like secretarial uh, mm-hmm. role of kind of being in charge of everything because she yeah. mentions like his home life. Yeah, so you're like, are you spending time with the kids? Like, how one, how do you know this? Mm-hmm. But two, I think it's implemented because she's a she's a female character, and mm-hmm. I think it's kind of like. The dad doesn't notice stuff like that. That's the sad thing is that like the dad doesn't notice like. Right. Th- and that's his relationship with Dylan is that like he doesn't notice these things. Right. And you and you get the sense, too, that it was Catherine who would buy the kids clothes. It like, was Ka- Yeah. He I remember he said at the beginning of the movie, like Dylan's backpack breaks and he's like, oh, where where, where, <laughs> where did your mom get that backpack? Like, yeah, he's like, where do you buy these? Yeah. And I'm he, like, this like, man is dumb. Yeah. He just he fully is not aware of like how to be a dad. Yeah, very heavy-handed at times because he's a good dad and he, yes. he well, like he's a, clearly... he's a good dad to Rosie. That's the thing. Yeah. Um yeah. the other the other the last important thing that happens before this uh USDA inspector shows up is the box of snakes. And we need to talk about we, we need, need to, to talk, talk about, about this. So they are going they are preparing dinner and uh they're making they're shucking corn and Matt Damon has to go 18.4 miles to get butter. Because he didn't uh, have it and they need it for the corn. They need it for the corn. And as he's coming back, he bumps into ScarJo, who is still still working, even though it's like 8 or 9 p.m. And he's like, go home. I'll do everything that you need to do. And one of the things that she needed to do, um, on top of, you know, giving Spar new medication, which is an important plot point that will come back later, is... Uh, check on the crate of exotic snakes that they no, have purchased. No, no, I don't. I don't think that was what it. I think he had to do something in the garage. It's like the, he had to turn off the lights in the garage. Yeah. So basically, Matt Damon is going out to do all the stuff. He takes Rosie with him. They're going to go check on the pens, whatever they he, do. They're, they're going to go. They're going to go check on the tigers. And the he tigers. tells he tells Dylan to go turn off the lights. Turn off the lights and do something else. Like bring something yeah. in. Yeah. And Dylan's like, oh. No, Dylan's like, like, Dylan's like, I have a lot of homework to do. And the dad's like, I don't care. Yeah. Which is, again, I'm, uh, whatever. I'm like, yeah. well, also, what's your homework? But because he's in school now yeah. at a different school. It doesn't matter. Yeah. They don't really touch on that. So he goes into this garage area, um, sees a box that is labeled like. Live snakes. 
live snakes, like exotic snakes. And he's curious, obviously. He flips open. It's just a latch. He flips it open. One latch. Opens it a little bit and is like, ooh, like, oh, it's, it is brimming with snakes like it is, it is of, of multiple different species it looks like it's which insane that this is a box full of just random fucking exotic snakes yeah and there's no like bedding in it either it is just a box just full a box of snakes full chock-a-block full of snakes and what is very strange to me is that this is a zoo that is like hemorrhaging money why would they spend so much of it i don't know how much exotic snakes cost but i assume it's a pretty penny why would they spend money bringing in more snakes to feed yeah i don't know maybe they maybe all the other snakes died i don't know we don't we don't know we don't know we never learn we never learn anything more but he opens it and he's like oh he gets freaked out and then he doesn't latch it obviously latch it and then the snakes all crawl out and we there's some fast forward to the next yeah fast forward to the next morning the snakes are all over the yard all Um, (laughs) all over it seems like nowhere else they're just like congregating on the front steps so they go you know everybody rushes outside they're like we gotta pick up these snakes and and rosie rosie's like we live on a snake farm yeah again oh oh, wait the, the thing that happened um in between that night and the next morning is they is they still have the sweater. Oh yes, that's, Rosie. That's that night. Is is Rosie yes. kept the uh the mom's sweater. Uh Matt Damon finds it. It's she's like it's in her bed amongst yes. her stuffed animals. He pulls yes. it out and he's like, Oh, you know, I guess, you know, we wanted to keep this one. And it's kind of a sweet yeah. sweet moment. It's a sweet moment and Oh, she's like buried in with her stuffed animals. This is okay. This is why I'm pissed off about the timeline being in twenty ten. Because he, oh my God, th- this is gonna this is gonna blow this movie wide open. In this scene, and I can't wait to get to get back to talking about the snakes on the on the floor, but this is uh-huh, this uh-huh. is really important. He is like digging Rosie out of this like bundle of stuffed animals, and that's where he finds the sweater. But he says, "Oh, you're like a Chilean miner." <gasps> yes. And the Chilean miner incident happened in August of 2010. So and it the, didn't happen yet. The timeline of this movie is clearly established to be February through July. It didn't happen yet. It didn't fucking happen yet. I remember when I heard that line, I actually had the thought. I was like, Did, wasn't that in the future? Like, I, I was like, wasn't that they, years they later? But I guess it was. It. They, they almost had it. That's really fun. This movie was so believable up, up until, until that, that line. And what's wild is like, it was recent because this movie filmed in 2010. So they must have been filming like while that was happening and i wonder if that was like a matt damon ad lib because it was in the news and he was like oh you yeah, got a chilean miner in here like i i really wonder how that line came about That's and, so, and I no one too. caught the, the the glaring anachronism that ruins this movie that's so funny that you did though yeah. um I mean, I listen again, 20 pages of notes on this thing. Yeah, seriously, Zach. Um, <laughs> but yeah, okay. So yes, that is like a very sweet moment and yes, also sweet... completely ruins the the continuity of the film. Yes. And th- and this is oh, wait, this is also where they're talking about like, was, was the mom in pain when she died? And oh, this is yeah. also like right after we, they're like trying to give Spar his meds. So we're kind of connecting the dots between the mother yeah. passing away and, and, and needing to understand that Spar... The tiger is near the end of his life. And you and you also start to understand that the mom was sick. You yes. know, she had a, obviously like a cancer or a terminal illness. Yes. Um, so, yeah. So then they they draw an, a, a very clear parallel between yes. the <laughs> aging sick tiger 
uh, and the mother. Yes, but, so, sometimes so, painfully obvious. So yeah, well, um, um, so they they're doing this sweet moment, and then boom, boom hard cut okay. to the morning, Box of snakes. where the snakes have escaped, and yes. it's like this. It's comedic at first because it's like, oh, you uh, obviously the snakes have escaped. We saw this coming, and no one's freaking out. No, everyone's like, just kind of like, ah, oh, geez. Scarlett Johansson, yeah, Scarlett Johansson's like, ah, pick as many of it, put yeah. them in this bag, and Matt Damon's like, this one's angry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but then, then Matt Damon yells at Dylan in front of everybody because yeah. he's frustrated and yes. Dylan's like Dylan's like I'm an idiot you know yeah. like I suck and he's and Matt Damon's kind of like yeah you fucked up like I asked you to do one thing and yeah. you fucked it up and like they start yelling at each other and Dylan's like in the, uh, Dylan's like you can't make me feel worse than I already feel because like he feels yeah. really guilty about it yeah and Matt Damon is kind of reaming him out and like yeah. kind of going in on it well Matt, Matt Damon was already pissed off because like as they were leaving the door he was like hurry up i have to drive you forty thousand miles to school which is like yeah you're the one who moved to a zoo (laughs) nine miles away from anything i know i'm like he he obviously woke up on the wrong side of the bed on this day um but yeah so they they're picking up these snakes and dylan gets really frustrated and i had to rewind this is insane so they're picking up the snakes and dylan gets so angry that he kicks he drops one kicks. of he drops yeah, he's kicks. holding it he like throws it towards the ground and then punts it and the snake goes flying yes. and in the moment i literally went did he just kick a snake or was that like a stick or something like what just i was happened? I, I didn't i the first time i watched this movie i wasn't sure either and but then then scarlett your hand is like <laughs> like i didn't appreciate the way he kicked that garter snake she says it like I think she says it like a few scenes later. Yeah. Like time time passes and then she kind of brings up the moment to Matt Damon and yeah, trying to understand. It's later uh, it's later cuz we get uh like that scream from Rosie cuz a snake's mm-hmm. on her foot and then it like cuts mm-hmm. to several hours later where they're like preparing the the food for the tigers and and she, and she mentions it trying to help him with like his child rearing where he's like yeah. she's like yeah you know you're having a hard time with Dylan. And then she says what do I know? I still live with my mother. Just to ha- just to hammer that home again. But she, it's, it is so funny. She's like, I didn't appreciate the way he kicked that gardener snake. Yeah. And it's just like, wait, so he did kick the snake. And he then did fully kick no the snake. one talks about it again. And Matt Damon's character never is like, hey, buddy, don't do animal cruelty. Like, hey, why we, did you kick a snake? We we bought a zoo. We live on a zoo. We have to take care of the animals in the zoo. And, and you kicked one. And you broke all of that snake's bones. <laughs> and it's fucking dead because it was a gardener snake and you fucking kicked it with your shoe you kicked that um, snake to death so hard you kicked that snake to death so hard that the other snakes will never escape again because they're so they're scared so you'll kick them and freaked kill out. them you sent a message to, actually it was kind of good that you did that because you sent a message to all the other snakes and, yeah, now, they, and now they know not to fucking slither Dylan's out. the alpha <laughs> the alpha snake but yeah um, so um that's an insane scene that happens yes. and now, now now walter ferris shows up walter ferris shows up early and it's a big thing they're like yes. still cleaning up still getting stuff together they see the dust of his car on the horizon yes. and they're like oh, he's early he's not yeah. supposed to be here for another two weeks scarlett johansson like radios to tell the other zookeepers to like lock up mccready in the bathroom so that he doesn't and they like do yeah they lock him in the bathroom and we get a quick cutaway of him like trying to get out of the bathroom and the josh gad guy being like oh the door is stuck and then they're holding the door later too it cuts back and he's like i'm sorry man i'm yeah. sorry it, and he's later, like pounding. it cuts back it cuts back because he breaks through the door oh frame. yeah he yeah. breaks the doors off the off the hinges but that's but um, he get he he breaks out right as walter ferris is leaving so let's, but anyway. talk, let's talk about walter ferris who who is the horniest man in this movie the what 
the horniest man? Why is he the horniest man? Oh my god. Oh my god. Everything about this man. So he he shows up and he like first of all he like looks Kelly up and down and like Oh, oh, I totally Oh yes, yeah, yes, yeah, yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. He looks her up and down and he's like He's like, didn't, you didn't used to be the head zookeeper. And, she, and he's like, and she's like, I moved up. And he says like, oh, there's something interesting about you. I just can't get a handle on it. And he does this really weird hand motion where he like reaches and like clutches and then like turns his, it's like the, like the hand motion from Snowpiercer almost. He, and it's, <laughs> it's so, oh, it's, it, it's so icky. I hate it. Again, talking about characters that are just like written to be exactly who they are. Yeah. He is written to be like the antagonist who is kind of slimy mm-hmm. and annoying yeah. and r- rude. He's a dick. I mean, everybody calls him a dick for the entire up, like up until we meet him, and then yeah. you meet him, and you're like, okay, yeah, he yeah. And he fully is. And then and ba- and basically his whole shtick is he's there early, uh, and he goes around the the zoo with him, yeah. and he does all this weird measurement stuff He's very like measuring se- very sexual again he his, very sexual because he, he he does he has this automated tape measure that like goes the entire length of one of the enclosures i forget which and then he like retracts it and says you're eight inches short and and the way uh, yeah it's um i forgot you're right he is the horniest character yeah because while sexual. while he's extending it he's like looking at staring uh, at kelly Matt, uh, yeah 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 he's or staring, at Matt Damon. no 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 you, no no you you had it right i well no he stares at both of them actually he's horny he does he's horny for everybody um, yeah. in this movie and and um then he says you're eight inches short which is again very sexual and mm-hmm. he's he's another character to bring up the fact that they need to think about an end of life plan for spar yes um and that becomes like a point of contention matt damon's like we don't need to do that right now like mm-hmm. he's fine he's actually not sick and he's fine yes. and he has medication and blah 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 yes. so that is brought up again like very heavy-handed at this point that it's like the tiger will die the tiger's um, going to beef it at the end of this movie. yeah um so anyway so he goes around he does all this stuff and he basically tells them like the rules have changed and Mm -hmm. you have to do x y and z otherwise you are not going to pass inspection and i'm going to come back and whatever it is the two weeks and do this again and if you don't fix this stuff like i'm gonna fail you yeah you're not going to be able to open the zoo and the stuff is it's it's a big deal it's like clearly going to be a lot of money they have to enlarge these enclosures he's talking to robin who's the like the the craftsman with the capuchin and Mm. He says, uh, you're looking at about a buck fifty, which I, I think is $150,000 in this context. I assume. Yeah. yeah. And that's clearly like way more money than Matt Damon was in. He was like ready to, to put money in this thing, but like 150K is a lot. And Rosie says like a buck fifty, I have that. And Matt Damon says, then go get it, which is like yeah. not a healthy way to talk about money with your children. No, uh, he's like, get it. We're going to need it. And yeah. I was like, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Get your dollar fifty yeah. cents. And, Hilarious. Uh, and and Walter Ferris leaves after saying very weirdly, like, I guess I just don't understand how you can call this place home, which is uh, very unprompted. And uh, then McCready like busts down the door and, and is like yelling and as, runs. He, as he like it, drives away. Yeah, he like runs after the car. Uh, again, comedic relief yes. for like the tension. And then. Matt Damon has like a little bit of a breakdown about how much money he's going to have to spend. And everybody is very worried yes. that he is going to just try to flip this place and leave. Yes. Uh, um, and Matt, Matt Damon, a very telling thing about his character. He's like doing like a frustrated dance and he kicks over a barrel. But then he picks that barrel back up. And, and ScarJo, again, watching from the distance, smirks. Yeah. She's, 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 she's She clocks that and she's like, this guy's all right. Hello, everyone. Sorry to interrupt. I know there's a lot going on in the movie right now, uh, but this is Zach from the future, 
And this is the end of part one of our recap episode. Sydney and I recorded for about three hours, which is one and a half times as long as it takes to watch We Bought a Zoo. Um, this is a podcast crime. This is a crime that we did, and I'm sorry. Um, but the good news is there is another episode of We Pot a Zoo coming out tomorrow, and we're going to cover the rest of the movie. Will Matt Damon crack under the financial pressure of having bought a zoo? Will he be a better father to Dylan? Will there be more animal antics? Find out in part two of episode one of We Pot a Zoo. Uh, you can find Sydney on Twitter at Soccer Mom Sid, that's Sid with a Y, and Instagram and Twitch at Sydney Gale. Uh, please rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. Thank you to RT Coburl for the intro and outro music and Sydney Gish for her vocals on the intro. You can find links to their work on our Twitter, which is at WePodAZoo. Uh, special thanks to my friend Dylan at AdultHumanBitch on Twitter for the name WePodAZoo. And if you go to DartmoorZoo.org.uk, that's the website for the zoo that uh, the movie is based on. Uh, they have been impacted severely because of COVID, so they're currently accepting donations uh, if you have the means and are able to donate. So I think that's that's about going to wrap us up. Uh, see you tomorrow for part two. And, you know, if you're on the fence about whether or not you're, you want to keep listening, let me just say one thing. Why should you keep listening to this podcast? Well, <laughs> why not? There's a movie called We Bought a Zoo Guess what happens? There's a zoo for sale and it gets bought By Matt Damon, a grieving single father In search of closure, hoping to find it in a tiger or a bear enclosure We Bought a Zoo It's a film by Cameron Crowe We Bought a Zoo Buy it now so you can go home and enjoy it with your friends and family. We bought a zoo. I'll buy a zoo. A zoo. You'll buy one too. I'll buy a zoo.